So we've gone through a lot this morning already. We've, uh, we've listened to a lot. We've thought a lot. We've, uh, we've worshipped a lot. We've prayed. So hopefully I can make our time pretty simple by saying this. We're exploring one statement this morning. And it's this. It's a summary of Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And the summary is this. That your present life is preparing you for future glory. That's it. Just that one statement. That's our proposition today. And I want to start with the word glory. Because this word doesn't appear in our passage. But the idea is completely there. So I want to point you to two places quickly. That come before and after the passage that we're looking at this morning. The first one is in Colossians 1, 3-5. And specifically in verse 5. Where Paul's commending the Colossians at the beginning of this letter. And he's encouraging them because he's seen their faith and the love that they have from their faith. Because, and this is why they have this faith and this love for one another. Because he says in verse 5, of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So there's an objective hope for the Christian that's not yet realized. It's laid up for you in heaven and it will be yours when Jesus returns from heaven. The second one comes after our passage, and it's in Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 27, or uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27. And Paul's saying this, that the gospel that's come to the Gentiles now, he says in verse 27, is a mystery, and it's this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So putting these things together, there's glory ahead for the saints, and not just for Jews, but for Gentiles also, those who are not Jews. It's a hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So just pin that idea in your mind as we get started, that there's a hope of glory that's ahead, and we're going to flesh out what that looks like. So back to our proposition, your present life right now, the things that you're doing right now and thinking right now are preparing you for your future. What you believe and how you live is bringing about what will happen in the future. When you're preparing your taxes right now and you're thinking about what's going to be included in your income, when you're thinking about how to respond to your children and the things around your home, when someone says something critical to you, in that moment where you're processing, God's preparing you for your future. That's what we're seeing this morning. Every little thing in your life, whether you're eating or you're talking with your neighbor or whatever, is preparing you to enter into heaven. You're entering into God's work even now. Here's an amazing statement from Paul that illustrates what we're going to be talking about this morning, this hope that we're looking forward to. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17, and we're going to return to this later. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. Paul wants the Corinthians to know this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and he will bring us with you into his presence. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, Though our outer self right now is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction right now is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
That's what's happening for you right now, Christian, and that's what's happening for you in the future to look forward to. He's talking about how you respond now to affliction, perplexity, persecution, being struck down, being given over even to death for Jesus' sake. And what's heaven's answer to all of these things? It's glory, an eternal weight that's being laid up for you, and one day it'll be yours. So let's read our passage for today. It's in Colossians 1, verses 22, uh, 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23, these three verses. Let me read this for us. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Our God, we ask as we always do for your assistance by your spirit right now. This is a moment that we experience every week. We pray that it wouldn't grow old. That this would be a fresh new experience because you are in it. You are living. Your word teaches us by your spirit. So we ask that you would speak and that you would give us hearts that would be willing to submit to what we see here. We pray that we would, by these truths, I think this is your will for us, to see every moment of our lives as your kindness to us in preparation for our future that's laid up for us. I pray that we'd be ready and we'd be excited to receive it when we see Jesus Christ. So we ask for your help in these things. Amen. So today, everything hinges on one word, and it's at the beginning of verse 23. What is it? It's if. If, and it's not more complicated than exactly what it looks like. What comes before if is dependent on what comes after if. What comes before is only going to happen if what comes after if is also true. So we have two parts here, and we're going to connect them together with this if, and that's really what's going to drive the point home that we're looking at today. It's not just one or the other, but it's that these two things work together in a glorious way to bring about what God's doing in our lives. So we're going to divide our time into two parts. What comes before if is your future glory. That's the first part of what we're looking at. And later, what comes after if is your present life. 
And you see those things are kind of reversed in chronological sequence. But uh, the latter is what is going to prepare us for the former. Before we get into it, if this was a question of yours, it might not have been, but if this is a question of yours, we could have said that your future glory is informing your present life. And that would be true as well. But because of this, if indeed in the middle, Paul seems to be putting the emphasis on your present life and what your present life, the way you're living right now, is having an effect on your future. So that's why we've put it this way, that your present life is preparing your future glory. So we're going to start by looking at your future and ask yourself, is this something that you want? And then we'll move on to your present life and how you need to live right now to prepare you for that. Now we've already brought up this reality of a future glory. And that can sound sort of abstract, but we're referring to it in the sense of moving toward a future wonderful reality that God's creating in you and he's going to bring about. But at the beginning of our passage, it's anything but glorious. All we see is alienation from glory. We see the opposite of glory. So before we get into it, we should just orient ourselves quickly, looking at what we learned last week. Remember back to last week's study? We saw who Jesus was, and that showed us what God's doing in the whole universe. What he's doing at a cosmic level, we could call it. Still got the microphone? Should probably strap that on behind me. Let's see if we can't keep that on from now on. So we looked at last week what God's doing at a cosmic level through Jesus Christ, the one who's Lord over all. We saw that the Father's given all of authority, all creative power to his Son, Jesus Christ, and he rules over all. And though the creation was corrupted, he's creating a new creation, and he started that with his resurrection from the dead. And the central act of peacemaking in this new creation was in verse 20. And it says, God's reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, and he's making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. So in his death and resurrection, Jesus has begun creating this universe in total peace, in total reconciliation and harmony. And he started it with his own body. That's Jesus' cosmic work. That's what he's doing on the level of the whole universe. Now, what's he doing in your life? That's what this week is. This week is the application of Christ's lordship over all in your life. So let's look at verse 21. This is the first part of your future glory. After saying all of that, what is your future glory? How is it a possibility? How will it be realized? What is it? We're going to explore those things in three steps. The first one is that your future glory was impossible. If you're familiar with these sorts of things because you've been a Christian for a long time or you've just been around the church, this isn't surprising for you. You understand that these things weren't possible. We were dead in our sins and and all that. We know that. But if you've never heard these things before, 
or you don't even believe them, you have a special advantage. You don't take any of this for granted. So I'm inviting all of us to, to see these things with fresh eyes, like we've never seen it before. Verse 21, it says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What does it mean to be alienated? Alienated from who? Alienated from what? It doesn't even say. So we won't try to be more specific than, than what's said in our text. But another letter of Paul helps us get the sense of this meaning, I think. In, in Ephesians, which is a very similar letter, also written from prison, a lot of similar language. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this about the Gentiles. You Gentiles, remember that you were at that time, before Christ, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying that without Christ, you were alienated not only from God, but from every good thing that comes from God. You were strangers to God's goodness. Because there's only one way that you can receive this, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. So when God promised to make a new world where righteousness and justice and peace rule, and when he promised to Abraham to make a mighty nation of him, all of these promises were not yours. You didn't have any part in them. And now it's going to get doubly worse because you were not just passively alienated from these things, but you were actively hostile toward God. When I say you were, obviously I'm talking to the Christian, the one who's experienced this change. But you have to ask God whether these things were true of you or whether they are true of you right now. And if they are true of you right now, I ask that you wouldn't rule yourself out already. Don't disqualify yourself from hope because there's hope that's coming in just a minute and we'll see it. For the Christian though, at the core of your being, God's created a new person after the likeness of Jesus Christ. Even though you once worked against God in his reign and you didn't want Jesus to rule your world or even if you're okay with Jesus ruling as Lord of creation, you didn't want him to rule as the Lord of your own life. But God changed you. Now it wasn't in your thinking either. Just in your thinking. It included that. But it was more than that. You were hostile toward God and it showed in the way that you live your evil deeds, it says in the text. That's a strong statement. What's he thinking of? In chapter 3, Paul gives a long list of the things that he's thinking of that are evil deeds. He says things like this. Put to death these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the things that you once lived in. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Was your life characterized by these sorts of things? Or is it still characterized by these sorts of things? Either way, this confirms that your future glory was impossible. Apart from something that 
God had to do for you. So here we come to one of the most thrilling sequences of words in all of the Bible. But now. You once were, but now. If you have an ESV translation, it's rendered as, he has now, which is right as well. But God has made the impossible the possible. And this introduces the second of the three steps in your future glory. Next is your future glory was secured in Christ's death. This is our God. He doesn't leave us helpless. He brings us help and he's done it through Jesus Christ. He's done it by reconciling us in his death on the cross. Reconciling us. What do you think of when you hear reconciling? Do you think of justification? Good. But if you only think of justification, you're shortchanging yourself. Justification describes as being, us as being counted as righteous before God. He looks on us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You were once counted as transgressors of God's law, but now you're counted as blameless, sinless, righteous. But if we read, he has reconciled, and we only think of this glorious reality of justification, we miss the bigger, the more complete reality of what Paul's calling reconciliation. Remember last week in chapter 1, verse 20 that we cited? The future glory of the new creation is that all things will be reconciled in Jesus Christ. Which means that the whole goal of the universe is to create a new unity and that unity will be formed in Jesus Christ. This has been the hope ever since Adam and Eve sinned and they rejected their creator and sought to put themselves in his place and their relationship with God experienced disintegration disunity. They were at odds with God. They were at odds with their creation. They were at odds with those with each other. The creation was at odds with them and they were supposed to rule over it. And I don't have to convince you that this problem of disunity has continued with us all the way to the present. But we have this hope. But now. But God. So back to our text, the cosmic unity that God began at the cross is climactically seen in what he's doing in your life. The cosmic level is seen climactically in what he's doing at the personal level in the sinner, making him or her into a saint. So you, Christian, Do you feel now that everything between your soul and God, everything between your experience and what you know it should be, is right? It's not a trick question. You know this isn't the case. You know not everything is right. Not yet. That's the future that you're looking forward to. That's what we're talking about. Everything is good in a sense between you and God if you're a Christian, but not everything is perfectly good like you know it will be. There's a distance to go. There's lots more. We've only just begun. 
So your future glory was impossible, but now it is secure in the death of Jesus Christ for you. The third step of your future glory is that it will be obtained at Christ's return. The cross was the end of your sin being counted against you, but it wasn't the end of your future. It was only just the beginning, the inauguration. So let's ask a question. Can we get more specific about what our future glory is? What's the future that we hope in? What are we looking ahead to? Let's see if we can answer this question in verse 22. Verse 22, remember, it's explaining why God reconciled you to himself. Why do you do that? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, the second half, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Who's that? Who's him? That's Jesus. So at some point, we're going to be before Christ and we'll be perfect. We'll be holy and blameless and above reproach. That's the future we're looking ahead to. Are we looking ahead to more than that? We'll talk about this as well. Yes, we're looking ahead to more than that. We know that. But we're not looking ahead to less than our future perfection before Jesus Christ. So your perfection, and we'll flesh this out, we're talking about your glorification one day. It's just this side of this diamond of your future glory that we're looking at this morning. Okay, so when, when is this all going to happen? When are we going to appear before Jesus Christ as perfect? Colossians 3, 4 gives us one of the clearest answers when this is going to happen. It's in the exact same book. This is in Paul's mind as he's writing these things. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's what he means. And the perfection looks like being holy and blameless and above reproach. So again, to talk about this justification, sanctification aspect, these words of holy and blameless, above reproach, They have notes of justification in them. Yes, we know that. They do. But they also have notes more strongly, I'm going to say, in sanctification. I could just tell you that those words can also mean that, but I think I could show you clearly by by pointing you to a very similar passage in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, Christ is sanctifying his bride, the church. And this is how Christ's sanctifying work is described. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself glorious. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and blameless. Ephesians describes the sanctifying work of the church. And Colossians is describing the sanctifying work of you, Christian. 
If you're a Christian, did he make you righteous before him at the cross? Yes. At the cross, when you died, when he died, you died. Your death is tied to his. And your sin died with him. To never be counted against you again. Even the sin you haven't yet even committed. It's all forgiven. But he didn't leave you there. That's only the start of the process. At the cross, he made you new. He made you holy from your innermost being. And he's continuing that process of refinement, chiseling away the old and filling in all of the gaps. And one day he will present you before himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless. You'll be glorified. So what's your hope? What's your dominant longing right now? What are you looking forward to in an ultimate sense? Is it relief from pain? Relief from unanswered questions? Ambiguities? Uncertainties? Guilt? Surgery? Fear? Your own shortcomings, sin, fine. But don't shortchange yourself. I want to show you that there's an objective hope that has an effect on your present life. And your present life, the way you live right now, has a purpose for bringing about the hope that you're looking forward to. Let me show you this from another angle. In Romans chapter 8, this is a, a chapter we all love. It's a wonderful chapter. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Here's the bigness of your future. Don't long for less than this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ is going to share his glory with us. Can't imagine what that's all going to look like. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. What's this glory? Well, it's in part verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. And we don't see it quite yet fully. This is one of the things about hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we'll wait for it with patience. We look forward to it. We long for it. One day it will be ours. See how your future hope is more than only being counted righteous before God? He's not just restoring your standing before him. He hasn't only made you new and holy. He's making you new and he's restoring you and he's making you glorious. He's even going to recreate your body You'll be fully you like never before. Perfect, whole, 
He's not only reconciled your relationship to him, he's reconciling your whole self to him. And one day, he'll finish this work. Is that where you've set your hope? Is that what you long for? Because the best of this present world is just a shadow of these things that are coming. And the light of your future glory is increasingly rising on the horizon and it is going to shine out everything that you consider so hopeful in this present life because it's greater, it's bigger, it's heavier, it's weightier, it's brighter. So to sum up what we've seen so far, your future glory was impossible, but then it was secured in the death of Jesus Christ. And coming up, it will be yours when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and you're presented before him. So do you desire and expect a wonderful future that we've been talking about, hinting at? If you do, then you're ready to see the truth in the next verse. But we acknowledge at the beginning that that's not everyone. For some of you, you're still in this first statement. Your glory is impossible. You haven't been made right with God. You're alienated from his purposes. You're hostile toward him. And you show it in the way you live. God hasn't set you on the course of being made holy and being made perfect. You don't even have hope for a resurrected, glorious body that's going to be in the presence of God. So what do you do? What do you do? Know that this hope can be yours. Don't let this moment pass by without considering your relationship with the one who made you. The one who knows every hair that's on your head or that used to be on your head. The one who's given these promises to us in Jesus Christ that can be ours. The one who sent his son 2,000 years ago in history to die. To make this a possibility for us and he will make it a reality for you if only you would trust in him through faith. There's nothing that you can do by your own good works, but it can be yours today if you would take hold of this hope of future glory and a present relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, by trusting in God. And he'll change your whole outlook on life. He will change your desires. You'll hate the things that you once loved that were sin and that were awful in God's sight and you'll love what God loves you'll see God as good you'll see his plans and his authority in your life as his kindness to you and not as a terror now for all of us once you have received this gift of reconciliation how do you obtain this future glory that we've been talking about? How do you find yourself one day sanctified in God's presence? That's the second part. It's your present life. Now before we connect these two parts, let me just prime 
your mind to, to thinking about these things and to be able to hear this. Obtaining your future has at minimum, at minimum, something to do with your present life. And I get that from verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue in the faith. What does it mean to continue in the faith? It's to live a life that matches the faith that you profess. The faith can either mean your faith right now, the, the way that you believe in God, the way you live it out, or it can mean the Christian faith, capital F. But either way, it means your life. It means the way that you live right now. It means your present reality in light of Christ. So the question is, are you continuing in your life in a way that resembles Jesus Christ, in a way that's in accord with the life that you profess in Jesus Christ? So having said that, let's connect your future glory to your present life. What do we do with if? In verse 23, if you continue in the faith. There are two ways we could understand this, and I think that both are true, but one gets the essence of what's being said better than the other. So either by continuing in the faith, you provide evidence that you're reconciled to God and that you'll be glorified one day. So evidence or that your present faith is part of God's means of producing your future glory. So the means. And I take it that Paul's trying to show us the latter. The means of obtaining your future reality. This is the main point that I think is being made in these verses. And we're going to see this second part from two angles. One goes from your present to your future, and one goes from your future back to your present. The first one is this. Your present life is the means of of your future glory. It's the means that God's bringing about your future This is the central truth. If there's one thing that you get this morning, this would be a good one. The way you live right now is not only demonstrating the relationship you have with God. As if the only meaning that you have in your life right now is to give you assurance that things are right between you and God. It's not only that and hear me it's not only that it is god's using your your present life though as the means for bringing about what's coming in your future so there's purpose to your life right now your life's not pointless at all every moment that's mundane in your current life is God bringing you into his process of bringing about the change that he's working into you that he's going to bring to completion when you're brought before Jesus Christ one day. Now we can see this aim in Paul's letter. Why did Paul write the letter of Colossians? What did he see in the Colossians? What was he responding to? There are a few things that we've talked about. 
But here's one thing that I, that I think gets at the essence of why Paul wrote the letter that's relevant this morning. The believers in that city were doing all right. They were commendable in their faith. They were commendable in the love that they had for one another. It's right at the beginning of the letter. Paul saw that. But Paul's aim was not that they would just coast into heaven. Or worse, that they'd fall away from the faith that they once professed. That would be worse. Let me show you exactly what the essence of his aim was. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 28. This is why he's writing. This is why he's in the lives of the Colossians. He says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, and this is why, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is what Paul is working for. He's working so that through their spiritual growth at a personal level, their hope would be fully realized when Jesus Christ returns for them. Now, if you love God's sovereign grace, and I know many people here do, I love God's sovereign work in salvation. If you do, and you love how God justifies you, apart from any works that you do, the reality that I've just described might give you pause. You think of something like Romans 8, verse 30. It says, Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's guaranteed. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1.6. So, you who love God's sovereign grace, you ask, what if I don't continue in the faith very well? What if my life doesn't look very sanctified? What if I feel like I'm on the slow track to sanctification? Am I going to be less ready to meet Jesus? Am I going to be less ready for glory? Is the glory that I experience going to be less? Here's my answer from the apostle. And you can determine whether it's satisfying to you. I think it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through verse 17 We mentioned this at the beginning. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He wants them to know this. That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And will bring us with you into his presence. So everyone that God saved will be brought into his presence. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's progressive sanctification. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, that's your present life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So here's my paraphrase. If God has saved you by his grace, three things will be true from this passage that we just read in in 2 Corinthians. One, he will bring you into his presence, glorified. Two, your present life is being used by God to bring about your glorification. And three, this present life 
is preparing and will produce future glory. Put really simply, God will glorify you and he will use your life right now to do it. You don't need to wonder, do I work out my own salvation, my own sanctification right now, or does God work out my sanctification? The answer is that God's bringing about your hope of glory through the way you live this afternoon. Your present life is preparing your future. And God's inviting you by his power in your ordinary daily life and routines to grow up in maturity so that when you meet Jesus Christ, you'll receive what you've been waiting for. Let's recap before moving to the last piece. You once had no hope of glory, but now through Christ's death, your glorious hope is secured. And it will be yours at Christ's return. And then we connected your future to your present by concluding that God is using your present to prepare your future glorious self. The final question that I think we should answer to ensure that this truth is clear in our minds is what should your present life look like right now today? What does it look like, look like to live the life of sanctification that we're talking about? And this is the final part of your present life. And it's this, that your present life is rooted in your future glory. It's rooted in what's coming ahead. Look with me at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting, from what? From the hope of the gospel. If you've experienced new life in Jesus Christ, your new life is being defined right now by being stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. What's this? This is, this is simply living your whole life right now in light of your future. It's your attitude. It's the way you think. It's the way you speak and the way that you say things. It's every part of your life against the backdrop of your future. It's living in light of eternity. It's living life backward. Let's flesh this out. What are we supposed to not shift from? The hope of the gospel, right? What's that? Before I say something that's too narrow, let's recognize honestly that we could say a lot of things here. Just from our passage, the hope of the gospel, we said is reconciliation with God. We could expand that. We could say it's reconciliation with all of the new heavens and the new earth that God's going to be making that he started in Jesus Christ. We could say that it's reconciliation with one another. We could extend it to there. That's all true. We could say that our hope is in a new creation where righteousness and justice and peace flow like a river. That was all through the prophets. We could say that it's resurrection bodies and it's a thousand other hopes too, but what can we say to capture Paul's thought right here? It's, 
exactly what we've been saying so far. It's your future glory. And what are we saying specifically? It's your future perfection, your glorification, what you will be like when Jesus Christ is right there before you. And here's why I say that your present life is rooted in your future glory. It's so that we can get this picture in our minds of roots. You want to grow in godliness? This passage says to plant yourself in your future. You want to grow? Plant yourself in glorification. Plant yourself in full sanctification and don't shift from it. And you'll grow. You'll flourish. Let me sketch what this looks like. What is it to root your life right now in your future? I think there's one particular passage. There may be others, but there's one particular passage in Scripture that we shouldn't miss. And it was in Paul's mind. Flip to Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Colossians 3. I think this is what Paul had in mind. It's what it looks like to root yourself in your future. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. So he said that already a couple times. Not on things that are on earth, Because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what's this life that's hidden right now? Verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In glory. Set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is. And when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. You probably heard these words if you've been around the church for a while hundred times but what's the point of setting your mind on things that are above because the things that are above are the future that will be yours soon when Christ returns and if you get this future in your mind the point is that it will transform your life right now the point is if you set your mind on the future that is to come it will transform your present life How do I know that it will transform your life right now? How do I know it will sanctify you? Because after writing this, Paul writes, therefore, in verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality and so on. And what's the opposite? Verse 3, or verse 12. Put on Then, therefore, in light of your future hope, put off these things and put on these things. So if you set your mind, your heart on your future, it'll transform your present life. Root yourself in your present and you'll plateau, you'll wither. Root yourself in your future and you'll flourish. So what does this actually look like? What does it actually look like on the daily? Are you discouraged and running out of energy in a friendship? 
Now look where you're headed. In due time, you'll be presented before Jesus Christ. You'll be perfect. What a joy. Now pray for sight to see how God is preparing you for that joy. How God is using this friendship to bring you to full maturity in Jesus Christ. Or try this angle. I found this helpful. What's a situation that pops up in your daily life that bothers you, but something that in light of your life in Christ should not bother you? You could chat about this with your family after or friends. Or maybe you can tell them what the things are that are problems in their own lives. Take that thing and connect it with your future glory. Here's an example. Thanks to a friend, I was graciously reminded a couple days ago of one of my flaws. And do I say that honestly, graciously? Um, That I get way too bothered way too often by the things that are interruptions to my plans. You hear my, the present life that I'm planning on living right now. Now what's wrong with that? If I believe that God is sovereign in my life and I reject this little glimpse of his sovereignty in my life, I reject his sovereignty, practically speaking. I reject his kindness toward me that I know that he's using to prepare me for my future and I actually miss out on the joy of seeing what God's doing. And I miss out on the joy of loving other people, serving other people. So what's at the heart of this? How did I get to this spot? It's because I had my mind set on the things of this earth. I had my mind set on right now. What's the solution from our study this morning. God is using my present to prepare my future. So the way I respond to this interruption is part of God's means to give me the anticipated hope. I want to be sanctified. I want to be fully sanctified. I want to be sanctified even in the way that I respond to God's kindness in my life. So the more sanctified response would be to receive the interruption as what it is, God's kindness. To bring me to full maturity in the day of Christ Jesus. God is so gentle and gracious that he gives us a hundred moments a day to enter into the work that he's doing in our lives right now. And Jesus, Jesus became a human and he suffered on the cross and he died to redeem each of those moments in your life this afternoon for your glory. If only we have eyes to see this. This is what it means to set your mind on things above, to root yourself in your future hope. 
we're not saying, we're not saying, plant yourself in the present and grow toward your future reality. Instead, plant yourself in your future. Set down roots in the soil. Meditate on what's coming. Water your hope in the promises of God's word. And one day, Jesus will appear for you and all his church, and he'll complete the growth that he's already started for your glory and for his glory in you. You might be a spiritual sprout right now. You might be a sapling by God's grace. You might be a mighty oak. But one day, one day you will be fully mature. So don't live for lesser things. Live for glory and in light of glory. And when Christ appears, it'll be yours. You'll be fully you. You'll be fully whole who God's made you to be forever. And God will be glorified in you. If you're in Christ, I've said this a bunch of times this morning, God holds nothing against you. And more than that, he's made you holy and he set you on a course of increasing holiness in all your thinking and your conduct. And he will continue this process of refinement and preparation, primarily through the ordinary things in your life, through your routines, through the people you live with. And one day Jesus will return and your progress will be complete in a moment. You'll be fully mature, perfect, no blemish, no spot, no wrinkle on your face or in your character. And Christ himself, your hope of glory, will be fully yours. So as we close, don't think though, don't think for a moment that this hope is only an objective hope that's sometime to come in the future. It's that but it's also a hope for the present right now. We pray with the apostle these words, that the God of hope, the God of hope, would fill you now with joy and peace in believing. Fill you now, today, this afternoon, with joy and peace in looking toward your hope. And know this as we close. We've repeated it twice. It's worth saying a third time. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise you with Jesus. He'll bring you into his presence. Don't lose heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God's sovereign over the beginning of your salvation. He's sovereign over the end of your salvation. And he's sovereign over the middle, the means of bringing about the fullness of what's meant by salvation. Let your future transform your present. Embrace every moment today as preparation for your future glory. Let's pray. Father, help us now to take what we've heard from your word 
And I pray that this would be true for us. I pray that everything that I've said that is truthful, that's actually what you're intending for us to understand and live out, would stick. And that we would live our present lives in light of our future that's coming. I pray that we'd see every moment today as your kindness to bring about this work that you've started in us, that you've promised to be faithful in, and that you're bringing about. We hope in you. We trust only in you, and we ask you for the power to enter into this work that you're doing right now. Set our minds on the things that are above. Set our minds on what you're doing ahead in glory. Would that be the longing of our lives? That we'll be before you and that we'll be perfect and it'll last forever. That it'll be joy. I pray that you give us joy and peace in hoping in this sure hope. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus who secured this for us who we count on right now. Amen.